I'm Damien Fowler. And I'm Ailey Sliffering. And welcome to this edition of The Current Podcast. The Current is your deep dive into the future of TV, media, and data-driven marketing, all explained in plain English. We talk to the biggest names in digital marketing, and this week we sit down with Nate Notwell, the head of North America Consumer Experience Organization for Johnson & Johnson. We should say that Johnson & Johnson recently announced it would spin off its consumer health division and rename it Kenview. The pharmaceutical business will keep the J&J badge. The new unit will house legendary brands like Tylenol, Listerine, and Band-Aid. Over his 15-year career at Johnson & Johnson, Nate has held a variety of international roles as global marketing leader for well-known brands such as Nicorette and Zyrtec. Currently, he's responsible for advancing the company's digital media capabilities across the consumer health portfolio. But before we get to that, we started by asking him for his take on the new Kenview name, which is inspired by two words. Ken, an old English word meaning knowledge, and view, which references sight. I'm excited for it. I, I love the name. Um, I love the purpose. And so, you know, as as an employee, uh, I'm excited for the point in which we become our own company. And, and ultimately, you know, I think it will, I think it'll be really exciting for everybody. If we could just sort of like pull back and look at the macro context right now of where consumers are at, particularly in the context of healthcare, you know, how are you as a marketer navigating this this big shift, especially, you know, given the portfolio of brands under your purview? One of the big trends over the last few years is just consumers have had a much more engaged view of uh, their health, um, self-care and kind of the way they take care of themselves. And so I mean, that represents a number of opportunities um, and challenges for us as a, as a business. I, I think changing consumer expectation comes along with that. And so, you know, consumers want to understand more. As they're more engaged in their health, they have, uh, you know, greater depth of interest around um, ingredients, um, around the transparency of what's in their products, around sustainability. And so I think as an organization, you know, those things are a big focus for us to make sure that we uh, not only are communicating consumers to be able to answer their questions and, and to be able to help them understand how to navigate their purchase decisions, but, you know, we have to deliver on that. And so as we think about the evolution of our products um, and our services, I think that that's really core to be able to understand what that consumer journey looks like, what those needs are, and, and how, we can, how we can best meet those. And on that note, what would you say is the biggest learning coming out of the pandemic? You know, in addition to, I guess, just that heightened sense of engagement from consumers, I, I think there's a there's a big element of, you know, digital health that is, um, you know, core to how consumers live their lives every day. I think pre-pandemic, while telemedicine, you know, was prominent, it, it certainly didn't have the same scale or relevance across consumers, across people, across families as it does today. And I think that adoption of different technologies, different ways of interacting with, you know, categories, healthcare professionals, um, I, I think has just accelerated. And so, you know, that presents different uh, opportunities. Our, our Tylenol brand has recently launched a, a product called SmartCheck, um, where it's actually a device where you can inter interact with a healthcare professional and check whether your, your child has an ear infection. I, I have a one-year-old I can say, you know, getting up in the middle of the night and not knowing what's going on and thinking that I have a brand that can help me solve that challenge in a real way. And I, I don't have to go to the emergency room and unless it's absolutely necessary. I think it's a way to be able to leverage 
changing behaviors from consumers, different technologies that that um, now exist as a way to be able to you know better meet consumer needs. Given that, do you feel a heightened sense of responsibility in a way as a marketer? In a way, you're kind of moving into a, you're not just product marketing, you're a healthcare provider, you know, in, in that spectrum. Does that weigh on you or does that, is that a consideration, I should say? I think we try and separate between being a provider and, and helping consumers provide the answers, helping consumers access the answers that they're, that they're looking for. And so there's there's a sense of responsibility in ensuring that we're transparent with consumers around ingredients, manufacturing. You know, I, th- I think the element of how we engage with consumers is super, super important, but I think there's a limit on what we, we can provide. And so, you know, we can help to provide access, um, you know, in the case of something like SmartCheck to be able to, um, you know, connect a consumer with a healthcare professional. Certainly, we can recommend that consumers talk to a healthcare professional to answer certain questions, but... I think responsibly, there are things that as an organization or as a brand, you can talk to a consumer about. And I think there are certain topics or, or certain discussions that are best had with a healthcare professional or another expert. You've got these very, very trusted brands. So in a way, what you're marketing is, is trust. Is that fair to say? Yeah, 100%. I think we have iconic brands and, and the trust that we've built with consumers has come through, um, you know, continually meeting the needs of consumers over, you know, a really extended period of time. That's super important. I think that that's a big responsibility for our brands. I think continuing to ensure that we know what the consumer's needs are. Sometimes that means, you know, we provide information, we provide a great brand experience, we provide a great product experience. And sometimes that means we, we have to pass the consumer off to someone else that can have a more appropriate or more informed conversation, um, you know, that we, we, you know, don't necessarily need to have as a brand. Yeah, I mean, you, you've managed such timeless ones, like there's Band-Aid, Neutrogenia, Tylenol, Listerine. Do you personally have like a favorite or a favorite story? Oh, we have such really great brands. I've had the chance over my career to work on almost all of them. Um, and so I, I started my career. I worked on Tylenol, worked across our cough cold portfolio. I used to I used to lead our global Nicorette business, and and we we have that business outside of the U.S. So in the in the balance of the world, you know that's a that's an interesting business where you think about the need of the consumer, which is you know to quit smoking, something that's addictive, but ultimately there's something that has really significant long-term health consequences. And so I would say from a marketing standpoint, it presented an interesting challenge because you're trying to both convince someone to give up a habit or help them believe that they can give up a habit, uh, but then ultimately have to convert them like a, you know, a, a, a traditional marketing challenge of you know, we have the right solution and product and, and, and service combination for that consumer. And so it, it was a fascinating business to work on and absolutely fantastic purpose to have, which is really around helping to save the lives of our consumers. And I'd say that that would probably have been, you know, one of my best experiences over the course of my career. And you've been with J&J for about 15 years now. How would you say, I guess, your role has evolved over that time period? And what do you like, I guess, about being at like the same company for that long? As much as I've had a 15-year career at J&J, I, I have changed roles quite often. It just happens to have been with the same company. I, I started my career in Canada. Um, I moved to Europe. Um, I spent seven years in the UK, and I did a short stint in Russia during that time. 
Um, and then I moved back to North America and I've spent the last few years in the US. And in that time, I've worked in you know, local brand marketing, global marketing, customer strategy. I've done some business development. And now as I've moved into the US, I've, I lead our, our media and digital capabilities. And so I've had the chance to do a whole bunch of different things, um, to work in different markets, to work on different brands, um, and to work in different roles. And so I think that it's provided me the opportunity to make an impact across a broad part of our organization. But but really importantly, I get to learn every time I, I move into a new role. And I think that that helps keep things interesting for me and you know helps to continue to develop me as a, as a leader as well. It's staggering to think that J&J is 135 years old. I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. But you've actually described the company as a 135-year-old startup. What does that mean? Can you sort of unpack that a little bit? <laughs> I, I didn't describe the company as that. Our, our, our CEO has. I think one of the things about big organizations is, is you have the risk of being really internally focused, of trying to navigate the breadth of your organization, trying to figure out how to get things done. And I think the more in which you do that, it pulls you away from focusing on the consumer and ultimately delighting the consumer as a way to be able to, to drive growth. And so when I think about the principles of a startup, it's, it's small teams, really externally focused, empowered to be able to make decisions, and able to be able to move quickly to be able to react to what's happening externally, whether that's a customer need or a consumer need empowering the teams we have across our organization to be able to make decisions, to be able to kind of control their own destiny, and really trying to remove any of the roadblocks or barriers from their ability to execute, but allowing them to focus externally on, you know, how best do we meet the needs of our consumers. And we think that that's a real advantage because it allows us to move more quickly and ultimately be more effective in meeting consumer needs and and helping us, um, you know, deliver growth as a result of that. And, you know, today, brands more than ever have to be authentic and, like, purpose-driven. To what extent is that, like, a priority for J&J? I think you have to be authentic as a brand. I think we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, consumers are more engaged in their health. They're more engaged in understanding the way in which they're managing themselves, self-care. Um, and I think that that the way in which they choose brands evolves alongside that. You know, how do brands behave? Um, what do brands stand for? I think that those are critical parts of what consumers choose. It's super important for us to be authentic um, and purposeful. And I don't think that those two things are separate. I don't think having a purpose that isn't authentic is impactful or meaningful. And so when we think about the purpose behind our brands, we have great brands. We have the benefit of having just incredible brands. You know, it's a, it's a real privilege and a responsibility to work on businesses like that. When you talk about consumer needs, I guess there's a great advantage now with new digital channels, which allow for that personalization at scale. How do you think about approaching those different segments of customers, you know, as you look across the United States, the world? It really starts with the consumer's journey. You do need to know um, the consumer and you do need to start with some groupings of consumer to be able to, you know, have a starting point to be able to, to build your plans and programs. But I think the more in which we can reflect the consumer's journey as part of how we go to market, the better. And I, I think that that's important. I think sometimes you can get caught in hoping the consumer follows the journey in which we build as brands. 
And the more in which we can kind of flip that and have our activations, our content, our media be more reflective of the consumer's journey, where they are, but not only where they are, but what they need at those moments, I think the more effective we are. And through, you know, digital technologies, the ability to personalize content, I think we can leverage technology today to truly do that. And I think that that's an opportunity. It, it does present some challenges in, in how much you can splinter that, how much work it takes to be able to develop unique content and think about implementing those multiple journeys. You can just be incredibly effective in in helping to engage consumers, helping to reflect where they are in their journey and creating an experience that is both compelling for them, but also removing friction from it. And so there's technologies around shopability that that are, are critical as part of that. And so I think you can come up with a way to be able to engage a consumer and you can implement it pretty quickly as well. The consumer journey is also a, a huge part of retail media. How does J&J think about retail? And how would you say it's merging its e-commerce and shopper marketing strategy with a little sprinkling of the consumer journey in there? I'm fascinated by the creation of retail media because it represents such a great opportunity for both uh, the retailer and the manufacturer or, or brands consumers have choice about how and when they shop. And retail media is a critical component of a retailer's offering to a consumer and the ability to engage consumers in that purchase journey. I think this presents a really interesting opportunity for brands uh, to engage a consumer who may already be engaged in a shopping trip. To be really specific uh, about which consumers we engage with, what product and what offer we can present to them based on what we know about that consumer. And it's a chance to show up as, as hyper-relevant in a moment where the consumer is, is open to and engaged with our brands and our portfolio of brands. Retailers have a platform that engages consumers, and we can leverage that. Are there any newer emerging channels that you're maybe excited about playing in now that we're in the new year? I'm not a technology or channel-first uh, marketer, I think. I think sometimes we get caught up in, you know, what's the the new shiny object, and we jump towards that, and, and it doesn't always deliver on what we're hoping to as a brand or or fit within that journey from the consumer. Staying really true to the consumer's journey, and then trying to identify areas where there are new emerging technologies or channels, I think, is a way to be able to ensure that we're sh always continuing to show up as hyper relevant. Uh, it's not really a channel, I would say, that is um, you know exciting to me as we go into to 2023, but I think it's more the convergence of channels. I think as you think about a consumer on TikTok can buy right from the platform. You can add to cart from OTT offerings. And so I think the more in which we can lean into the technologies that allow us to either collapse the funnel or remove friction from that consumer's journey, there's you know exciting new possibilities moving forward. I think there will always will be the next social platform, but I think those are somewhat a little bit unique. And where we see continued innovation and continued opportunity is where those channels converge and where we can have people not just collapse the funnel, but skip portions of it all together and, you know, jump from awareness to conversion to purchase, you know, immediately in one step, as opposed to thinking that's two or three steps down the road. Yeah. And one of those channels emerging, I would say, is uh, CTV. You know, as TV habits of consumers uh, continue to move towards streaming, I guess, just how are you thinking about maybe the future of the upfronts, CTV as a whole, and the opportunity there? In anything we do, I think content continues to be critical. 
in the past where the upfronts were all about what the new programming looks like. I think that will continue. I think the content component of that is the most important part because what you really want is to be able to show up where consumers want to engage. But the second part of that is I think a more critical part of the upfront is what are the capabilities that are being built as part of those CTV offerings to allow brands to engage in a consumer in a way that is more frictionless? Are there elements or capabilities that are being built where you can add to cart during a program or where you can find more information without leaving the viewing experience that you have? And and so I think as that evolves over time, I think that that has to be a critical part of the upfront because that's a real part of the you know, CTV offering. It's not just the content. I think on the flip side, it can't just be the technology either because I think it has to be both. And I think as marketers, we get excited about the content as much as we get excited about the viewers getting excited about it. But I, I think that, that how you're going to execute within that environment is a super critical part of what those upfronts look like. And you know, we've seen some of that over the last couple of years, but I think that will be continue to be super, super critical as we go into you know, sort of the next few years as well. This year, what are you most excited about in terms of your marketing plan? We have within our business what we call our, our digital first ambition. Um, and, and that really is around focusing on how we can leverage data and technology to be able to help accelerate our, our business. But, but what gets me excited is pairing that with our incredibly smart people um, across our, our business um, and great external partnerships that we continue to, to develop and foster. To be able to go after new growth opportunities, I think we, we continue to learn as an organization. We continue to optimize how we work to be able to allow us to actually focus more externally and deliver on the needs of consumers. And so I think we've made some great strides over the last year or two in, in, that, in that direction. I think what, what gets me excited is seeing that continue to come through in 2023. Um, continue to you know help to remove the roadblocks from our great people and you know put them in the position to be successful and and I think we've seen some great results as a consequence to that and so I think you know for me with my team with the teams that that we work with that's what really gets me excited is seeing the success across my team and seeing them have some continued momentum as we go through 2023. And that's it for The Current. Stay tuned because next time we'll have Carrie Marshall, the VP of Media at T-Mobile. I don't want to be compared to AT&T and Verizon because they're doing everything that we wouldn't want to do. We, we're kind of standing on our own and about connecting consumers and doing what's right for them. The Current is produced by Wonder Media Network. Our theme is by Love and Caliber. The Trade Desk team includes Cassie Crosby, Yvonne Sikich, and Kat Fessy. And remember... We have incredibly smart people, but others have incredibly smart people. The more we can leverage really great external expertise alongside our really great internal expertise and the great people we have across our business, I think the more effective we become, partnerships are really, really important. I'm Elise. And I'm Damien. And we'll see you next time.